Welcome to Nobody Told Me That, your source for candid business talk and stories. Your host is speaker and author Teresa Duncan. Sit back, buckle up, and hang on. another episode of Nobody Told Me That. I'm super excited I have two guests this time. I usually just have one, but I got a little bit ambitious. And today I have Angela Martinez, who is the Vice President of Strategic Associations and Dental Health Policy over at Care Credit. That's a mouthful. And then I also have Lisa Spradley here, who is former office manager of the year, practice manager, former practice manager at Heartland. She's a coach, a speaker, an author. You've probably seen her on the speaking circuit. Angela and Lisa, hello. Hello. (laughs) Look at that, even in unison. (laughs) The, The reason I wanted to have these two ladies on the podcast is because we had the pleasure of having dinner down in Orlando at a recent meeting, and we were just going over all of the different ways to talk to patients, and we were going over the different uh, the differences in patients today. And I know that you're thinking, what kind of dinner is this? Can they talk about their family? But no, this is what happens when you're dental people. <laughs> you get together and uh, talk about dental stuff. Isn't that funny how that works out, ladies? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about family, but for some reason, crowns is just fun. So, but, but we got on the subject, and this is why I said we have to do a podcast about this. We got on the subject of treatment planning. And, you know, I've been so far on the insurance side, and I know, Angela, with you, you being in care credit, you've got you're on that side, but but we kind of had it rekindling. You know, I was a former office manager, treatment coordinator, and Angela, you did this for 19 years in in your office. So I think we were just kind of, I think we had a little bit of a, a rekindling. Didn't you feel it when we were talking? Yeah, it was it was kind of magical. I think we all um, sat around that table and we were doing some major brainstorming as well as, like you said, a rekindling. And and there was some really good conversation around that table. And Lisa, you brought you, I think you brought the fire to the table. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, thank you. I uh, I think the biggest thing for me, um, and I mentioned this, was just the the new way, the new approach of doing this is so incredibly uh, systematic, and I absolutely love it. You know. So the systematic part was what we were kind of, we, we did get started off with that. So back when we were in practice, you know, we knew about this truth and lending thing. It was kind of this thing that we were supposed to do, but I know a lot of offices didn't do. And then even just presenting all of the sides, you know, a lot of offices didn't realize they needed to present everything and let the patient make the decision. A lot of offices just presented what they wanted to do. And, and that was really the only choice that they had. But Lisa, you said something really important, which was it's, it's about the relationship. So can you go into, because you have a whole philosophy on this, can you go into that and what you mean by that? Absolutely. So for me and, and our, uh, or my approach, it's about going in there and making that connection with the patient first. So yes, you want to present the treatment. Um, you know, I've, I've been back and forth, uh, quadrant focus, you know, just so many different options, but it's all about that uh, initial feeling that you got with the patient and how how you think they're going to be able to handle that information because you can most certainly start in one quadrant. You can be quadrant focused as long as you're telling that patient, you know, hey, this is where we're going to start. There'll be next steps after that. If that honors uh, how that patient wants to hear that information, then that's the best way to do it because as all three of us know, when you're in that office environment and you just go in there and say, okay, well, so the total treatment that Dr. Wonderful presented is going to be $10,000, they're probably 
be out the door because you're not putting anything in there to learning your patient, what they need to hear and how they need to be able to trust you. Because that's what building the relationship is all about, building trust. And the last thing that we want to do is go in there and be, and forgive me, my husband was a used car salesman, so I mean no harm, but to be that (laughs) car salesman approach, you know, it's just, it's not good. So getting to know your patients and getting to, you know, that level of trust where you could go in there and just have a conversation about what it is needs to be done. I completely agree, Lisa, in the... 19 years and thousands and thousands of treatment plans that I presented, I would get that deer in headlights look and and you do, you have to make it about the patient and and today's patient is very different and um, you have to customize it to what, you know, what they what their needs are and I like your systemized approach. Now let me ask you this because you just said thousands of treatment plan. Lisa, do you think you presented probably thousands of treatment plans? God, yes. I know. I'm feeling like, like, (laughs) like we present between the two of us, we presented probably a couple thousand, probably even more than that treatment plans together. Can I tell you about my very first one? Because it was a train wreck. (laughs) I started work in a periodontal practice and it was a very seasoned periodontist. I I love this man. Uh, He was very blunt and to the point. So, I mean, when the patients had treatment, you know, he had no problem with his fees because he deserved it. And the first time I looked at his one of the treatment plans for a patient, we didn't have a consult room. There was just a little area in the back where I would step away from the front desk and, you know, anybody who walked by could hear it. So I had this $15,000 treatment plan. And I remember looking at it and looking at the patient. And I know it had to be all over my face that, you know, if this was me, I was going to be losing all my teeth one day. Um, and I stumbled over that thing. And somehow or another, the patient still scheduled. I, I really don't know how that happened. But I will never forget feeling so completely out of my element and just wondering where in the world am I going to be able to pull the strength to do this the next time. <laughs> so basically, your patient scheduled in spite of, of your you training planning. <laughs> Despite my best efforts to tell him not to, he went ahead and got scheduled. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And and back then, though, you know, there was a big pressure. Angela, I'm sure you remember this, too. There was a big pressure to do full mouth dentistry rather than the, the quadrant or even the phase dentistry. Um, are you seeing that now in the industry that, that people are okay with phasing more than they used to be? If you're talking to me, then yes, absolutely. As a matter of, a matter of fact, most patients prefer that. Now I do have patients that, you know, still want to, they want to know the big picture, what everything's looking at, but most patients feel like by doing it in these bite-sized chunks, it's, it's more doable. Um, and they're, you know, they're more apt to go ahead and I think uh, start treatment, apply for financing. In the time that I was with corporate dentistry, I was quite impressed with how we were able to um, bring patients into that. We called it the family of finance mm-hmm. and really get them the treatment that they uh, want, need and deserve. Okay, so let's let's go back there because you have a couple steps in there. Um, And this is where Angela and I were just staring at you because we just were loving hearing all of this. You have these steps that you go through. And and the good thing about corporate really is that they have things to a system. So it's wonderful that you were able to learn that and take advantage of that and, and use that with your patients. But can you walk us through, if I'm a solo practice and you're trying to tell me about systematizing my treatment plan, what does that look like? So 
The biggest part of this is to realize that these systems are, are only here to help you. I believe that um, this is one thing that whether you have them written down or not, we all have systems. The nice thing about corporate dentistry, though, is that they do have them written down and you learn them and you practice them and you role play them, that thing that everybody loves to do. But it works. So the systems for, you know, treatment plan are really the very first step is near and dear to my heart, right? It's building that relationship and you're allowing the patient to confirm everything that they just heard, because I think it's a, and I don't know the statistics on this, but I believe it's a proven fact that unless you repeat this to that patient at least three times, they're still not going to know what it is you just spoke to about it. So you say it, you have the patient say it, the doctor says it, everybody is is sharing this information. And the next step is, you know, being excited. Uh, let's face it, and, and I, I hate saying this because everybody does, but you know, dentistry is not everybody's favorite thing. I think it's getting better though. <laughs> I think as we educate patients and we realize that that stigma that used to be there, it, it's no longer present. We're, we're fairly open, um, just like every other industry is now thanks to you know social media and the internet and everything else so sharing the excitement that the patient's there asking the patient you know how would you prefer to hear this information getting their feedback so that once again you're building that relationship building that trust you're allowing them to tell you how they want to hear it and then just whatever it is that they're going to have done Say it with confidence. I mean, your job in all of this, uh, and I say your, I mean the, the financial, the treatment presenter, is simply to discuss the fees. You're mm-hmm. not there to sell dentistry. I don't sell dentistry. My uh, clinical team has done such a great job educating the patient that, you know, they have hopefully bought into it already. My job, our job in this is simply to help the patient get that treatment to, like I said, get the treatment that they need, want, and desire. Um, And to make it affordable, correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And we make it affordable by offering, that's actually the next step, thank you, uh, (laughs) by offering, you know, how we can, you know, help them work that into their budget. You know, is it a matter of the full amount? Is it uh, doing it in monthly payments? And we would offer what we call the family of finance. So we had options there to help our patients. I, I know that no one likes to, you know, tie any, you know, one service to anything, but, you know, quite honestly, um, care credit's my go-to. <laughs> I've always loved care credit because I understand it. But, you know, there, there were uh, discount plans that they offered through insurance companies and just, you know, offering options. And then basically once we had, you know, what their comfort Uh, was what they thought they could afford financially then we would go and we would you know help them apply for this credit or or whatever that situation might look like to get the treatment and once we had it done we celebrated we were you know hey let's we're going to go ahead and we're going to start this today and you do that first treatment and then if it is phased out if we are doing quadrant focus then we can go ahead and prepare schedule for the next step and let them know what that's going to look like so that was a system, and I absolutely uh, loved it. I don't, I'm not big, I think I told you this, Teresa, I'm not big on, you know, always creating new systems. I don't know that my my brain gears me towards coming up with these things. (laughs) I love utilizing what's out there. And this was something that just really struck a note with me. It's so interesting because um, when I uh, got out of working in a dental, my forever practice, I call it, was 2009. And it was a private practice. It was a large 
private practice, but um, we had systems in down to the point where we would measure how many units a day that we needed. We knew we needed 75 units to meet our goal. Everything was measurable and everyone was accountable for those, those measurements. But we, very similar to this corporate model, we knew that the relationship with our patients was the most important thing. You know, we did the DISC assessment on all our patients because we knew that that's how the patient um, wanted to be identified as and how we could tailor our conversations around the patient. You know, obviously, if it was a D patient, we got to the point and we just got strictly down to just, you know, letting the patient know what their treatment was, um, asking them, you know, being very direct. But obviously, if it was an I or an S, we, you know, did the warm and fuzzies. And then the C, we obviously focused very much on the analytics part of it and the numbers. But it was very, you know, patient relations oriented. And then um, obviously, again, fitting into when it comes down to it, when it comes to treatment planning and it's usually about the money and making sure that it fits into the patient's budget or what their concerns really are. And if it's quadrant dentistry that we're doing or if it's a full, a full mouth um, reconstruction, what really um, is the barrier that's m- helping them move forward with the care that they want and need and it's helping it fit into their budget. And then celebrating, like you mentioned, celebrating at the end because we're doing what's best for the patient and then the team's happy. Um, and um, so I love that even in 2009, I saw this happening in a private practice and it's very much can be replicated in the private setting and can be tailored to that type of model. Absolutely. And if I can add to that, because every Thing you said is so spot on and I love that I love that there are you know as you said practices out there doing this now and have been doing it and I love the disc I love that you mentioned the disc because that's a key part of it a lot of people think that they learn disc and it's all about how they receive information well I mean yes it's true I mean we probably need to know our disc type but in a perfect world we have the ability to be whatever anybody needs us to be and mm-hmm. that is why I think you learn disc not so much so that people know what I am or I know what I am, but so that I can address, you know, someone else's personality type. And going back to what you were saying about, you know, being able to help people get that treatment to address their concern, a large part of uh, that is also in when you have uh, been able to build that relationship with that patient and find out what their key motivation is and then taking that and using that as your, you know, part of your momentum as you're speaking to the patient. Maybe it's an upcoming wedding, you know, whatever it might be. And right. speaking to that and then using the rest of your tools to be able to help them get where they need to be by whatever time they need to be there. Well, now there there are times in classes, and I, Lisa used to used to present a lot uh, to audiences, and I, I'm glad that you're going to be back on the circuit, but one of the things that we hear as presenters is, yes, but. So when you're, when you're presenting treatment to a patient, what was always the, the yes, but, or the well, I could, but um, I know you said financing, but what is it that they're objecting to? And then what's your best way of getting around it? So you mean, what are they objecting to besides finances? Yes. Well, no, finances in particular. I know if there's fear, they're going to pretty much state it, but you just said that finances were, you know, or I think it was Angela said finances is a real um, objection. Mm -hmm. And it's true. I mean, that's, that's really, I mean, when I was presenting treatment, it was probably 80% money that was the objection. The rest of it, I could handle, you know, the fear, the convenience, Mm -hmm. all that. The money was the one where I had to really put on my thinking cap. So money is more than likely 
a convenient excuse because we can all fall back on it, all right? We can all use that, you know, it's not in my cards right now, blah, blah, blah. But we also all know that if you want something, you're going to get it. That's the time we live in, right? Mm -hmm. Um, No, I can't afford this crown right now, but meanwhile, I'm walking out the door and I'm going to Disney because I'm only 10 steps away from Orlando, right? I had to pay for that. I got the money somewhere. So when that is the barrier, when, you know, when they're mentioning financial, then that's where we go back into, you know, as an example, okay, is it, you know, so tell me, um, you know, Teresa, is it, is it the full amount? This is the full $800 is a matter of fitting into your budget. How can I help you with that? And then just, you know, being quiet and letting Teresa think about, okay, you know, well, I don't have $800 right now. Um, and, if you question that, which I have had happen a lot of times, then you know it's digging deeper. So tell me, how much did you think you were going to pay today? What did you come prepared to pay today? So then when they can give me some number, because that's what I'm doing, I'm digging, I'm trying to find some number, then I know what I can work with. So then right away, I know that, you know, I don't always have to default to the zero interest. I can go to that, um, that set plan that care credit offers. It's a, you know, just a regular low monthly payment. Yes, there's interest, but it's a lower payment because they are able to do it for a longer period of time. I just need to keep digging. It's about not giving up because I think that some people, and you both know this, some people can do treatment plans and some people can't. They just they right. shut down. You know, the second the patient tells them no, it's like, okay, okay. Well, you know, we'll just talk about it the next time you come in. But you can't do that for every situation. Uh, perhaps whitening if it's not an emergency or, you know, and, and even then you don't want to do it because if the patient expresses that that's something that they want, but then you tell them the fee and they're like, well, I'm not so sure. How can I make this work for you? That seemed to be the one that came up most was I was not expecting this because you, you do feel, I mean, when you bring them in for a consultation, we know that dentistry can be expensive, but for some people, this is the first time they've ever received a treatment plan for anything more than a hundred or $2, you know? So that was always the put, that was the one of the biggest pushbacks was I was just not expecting this number. Let me put you, the two of you on, you know, on kind of a, a, a display here and see what, what would you say to that, you know, when somebody says that's not at all what I expected. Okay. I heard that. Yeah, I heard that many times where it was, you know, oh, well, my, you know, my tooth wasn't even hurting and I wasn't expecting to pay anything. And actually, we had a study, we had done a study where most most patients aren't even expecting to pay anything over $300 um, or expecting to out of pocket over three or prepared to pay anything over $300. And so that's when it becomes, you know, payment options become very, very important. And really like when Lisa was um, displaying earlier is really getting to understand the motivation behind the patient and what's digging deeper into asking more questions because really finding out what is in their budget. Is it $100? Is it $50? Is it maybe a $200? Um, but what's in their budget and what can they afford? Um, because when you find out what they're comfortable with, then you can have the conversation around, okay, well, we can find something that fits in your budget. We can make this work. So you alleviate the pain point of this. Is, I can't afford this. I'm just not going to be able to afford that larger dollar amount. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So Lisa, what about you? Well, I, I completely agree. I think that I think that once you can find out, as I mentioned earlier, what it is that they're prepared to do, everybody has, they may not want to share it with you, but we all have a number. We know what we think we can afford. If you can get past that, then the probably the biggest next bar- barrier would be the time when nobody has any time. That's why same day treatment is so important because if a patient made the time to be with you today, obviously they have the time now. So we want to work with the patient. We want to use, you know, care credit to our advantage or financing, you know, to our advantage so that we can start that treatment today. It's, it's not about, you know, just being pushy. It's about the patient's there. They know they have a need. Sometimes they don't, obviously, but typically when your patient's there, they know what's going on. They know there's something going on and they're ready to treat. We just have to give them the ability to do so. Now, you said that it's about whether where they want to spend the money. And I didn't even think about the fact that you live, you know, right now you live in Orlando and they could just spend their money in Disneyland or Disney World, which is, you know, way more fun than going to the dentist. That's, I didn't even think of that. What a, what a big attraction to spend your money other than, you know, the dentist's office. Holy cow. <laughs> you know, and there there are so many there are so many uh, distractions. I mean, I, I will be the first to admit I, I'm a world class shopper. I I love to spend money on things that I probably don't need. Um, but um, but it's it's. It's realizing that it's true of all of us to a certain degree. We all have areas that we focus on and that's important to us. And I think one of the biggest things that has helped dentistry, I believe, is that now that we are totally relating your dental health to your overall health and people know that importance and they're more educated, they're more willing to invest because we don't want to lose our teeth. We don't don't want to have to worry about you know, all these things that could or maybe would happen if we don't treat our gum disease. So that has really helped uh, patients make more informed or better informed decisions. So coming from a, a corporate background right now, is there, let me see how I can put this. So you're talking about the the connection between the oral systemic health and dentistry, which we definitely need to pay more attention to. So I'm glad to hear you say that. In, in the corporate setting, do they address that at all? Because I, I feel like in the private setting, we're still not there yet where, where we can do more in that arena. But is, is corporate dentistry, are they aware of it? Are they using that in their treatment planning? Yes. Ah. Absolutely. Yes, okay. that is. There are posters on it in every room, you know, the, the links to periodontal disease, to heart disease, diabetes, you know, just all of this great information out there. They have, you know, and, and I'm assuming it's because, you know, we do have that corporate umbrella, but they've got all the bells and whistles. You know, you open a practice with all of these um, neat tools to be able to show patients, you know, the 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 Align technology, Invisalign, uh, it's not about straightening teeth. It's about improving your bite. It's about, you know, showing you that occlusal gram that shows you how hard you're pushing on your teeth and, and the recession and Oh my gosh, I think that was probably the coolest thing for me uh, coming from private practice was I, ne- I was never in a practice that was that state-of-the-art. So you said a clusogram, clusogram and I, I'm going to tell you from all the 
observations I've ever done. That was not done in private practice. The only time I saw it done was in a group practice or a corporate setting. So that's something that patients, when they go to a corporate setting, they are getting a different mm-hmm. experience, but a, a lot of them don't know the difference, obviously, especially if it's their first time, but we know the difference. So, so having that exposure to all of those diagnostic tools, did that help you in the treatment planning? I'm guessing it would. It did because you're educating the patient and most of your patients today want to be well-informed. You know, they, they want to know exactly what it is you're seeing. And you were talking about, you know, earlier, well, I didn't even know that tooth was hurting me. And the Mm -hmm. first thing I thought of was, you know, that's why you have that second screen up. And the whole time you're talking about tooth number 32 with the large decay present, you have that picture up, you have that x-ray up and, and you have your, um, oh gosh, your, I can't think of the word now, but your uh, scan, you have your scan up. You have all of that sitting right there and the patient's looking right at it as the clinician is talking about it, as the dentist is talking about it. And then when the financial planner comes in, you know, I can't address it, obviously, but I can look at the picture and say, oh, wow, I, I can understand why you want to have that tooth taken care of immediately. We're all just focusing on that area that needs to be treated. So, And you mentioned something earlier too, Lisa, about repeating it three times. And even in my practice, we use that pretty powerfully because we use intraoral cameras. So if there was a crack in the tooth, we would enlarge it. And the patient was just staring at that crack in the tooth. And even though they may not be able to feel it, Mm -hmm. they could see it, visually see it. And so the dental assistant, would mention it to to um, the patient, the hygienist, the doctor, and then when I would come in and give the treatment presentation, I would again reinforce, oh wow, that's a big, cr- you know, that's a pretty big crack you have there, and then we'd go into, you know, the the treatment presentation. The, the patients literally has heard about the crack probably four times. Right, right, and a thing that I like um, that takes it a step further, Angela, is that when you walk in and you sit down, right, so. I know that, you know, I have a treatment plan here, but I always like to make sure that what I have is what you think I have. So tell me a little bit about what your hygienist and doctor spoke to you about today. Yeah. I love it. So did you usually hear the same thing or was it a totally different recounting? No, I heard the same thing. Ah, okay, Nine out of 10 chances, the patients were repeating back to me. Now, they may not have remembered all the details and all the words, but they were repeating back to me what they had been told. Okay, so understanding the treatment plan is, I mean, it's it's not as easy as we think it is. We, we kind of are on the side of it, but it sounds like you're with the visual aid, you're breaking it down. But I've always been curious about this. And Angela, I don't think I've ever asked you this. So I'm going to have you put on your care credit hat for just a second. Sure. When you have somebody who contests the the bill, I, and I just, I know it happens, but I've never personally pursued what that looks like on your end. Is it, what is it because of? Is it because of the misunderstanding of the treatment or is it because they're unhappy with treatment? Why, why do people contest their bill mostly? It could be a number of things. Um, when I was in a practice and um, a lot of times it would be for a number, it could be a number of different reasons. They didn't like the shade of their tooth, even though, you know, we have them sign off and say, and do a color match and things like that. It could be that um, they didn't particularly like, you know, the margins. It could be so. It could be for those type of reasons. But usually, what happens is when they, or it could be that they moved during treatment, were um, not able to finish treatment with that provider, and you know, maybe it's a crown situation, and you know, they have a temporary on, and they didn't finish treatment. And or, but most of the time, it's usually for cosmetic reasons. 
Okay. So they just, they weren't happy with the treatment. Right. No. Well, that's too bad. So it's really important then on the back end, for those of you listening, that you make sure you document that patient was happy with or patient liked the color, um, even a final radiograph or a final image just to show that everything looked really good. Um, that's super important to make sure that's in the documentation. Do you, do you all rely on that when it comes down to a dispute? So when it comes to disputes, yeah, we, we ask for um, information from the provider, and then we obviously we take the cardholder's information of what they're disputing, but we do ask for the provider to send information on the dispute. So we give ample amount of time for them to respond to the dispute. As long If it's, it's for cosmetic reasons and things like that, then we just ask for the documentation. And then um, as long as they have that, then, you know, then we make the determination. If it's for fraud reasons or anything like that, and, you know, then we have to determine based based on what the reasoning is. Got it. Okay. Gosh, there's so much that goes into this. Holy cow. And it's so easy to dispute too. It is. And I'm, can I throw in that Mm -hmm. um, team members at documentation, you know, I love Dr. Roy Shelburne, you know, you gotta, gotta see it. But also another thing too, is if you're building these relationships that we're talking about in the beginning, if you have an open and honest uh, communication set up with your patients, then be aware when they have these situations. I realize there's always going to be something that's, you know, out of the box, but most of the time, these are miscommunications. This is missed opportunity to make something right uh, with your patient. And um, this can be avoided if you are, you know, truly, you know, following up with your patient and making sure that you address all of their concerns. So you said following up with the patients. Now, as part of a treatment coordinator position, is that something that's done regularly on the back end in the offices you're in? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So yeah. what, what I like to do is, you know, you're not going to get everyone scheduled. Let's be honest. It's just not going to happen. But asking permission, you know, and I, I typically, if I've built a good relationship with the patient, then I'll say, you know, hey, you know, if you don't mind, can I give you a call back in the two days or so? Because they're going to tell me they need to think about it. They need to discuss it. You know what? They need to look at their schedule, whatever. Can I call you back in a couple of days just to see, you know, if you found time to look at your schedule, if you spoke to your spouse, whatever that situation might look like. If I don't feel like maybe I have the connection that assistant does, then, you know, I'll ask if it's okay for the assistant to call back but I'm still aware that that patient needs to call back because I'm the one that's arranging everything. Follow-up follow up is actually one of the key parts of this because if you don't have some type of system, and Angela, I'm sure you guys probably had a great system in your practice too, um, you know, that that follow-up, follow-through is just, it's where, it's where you're going to not only get your treatment booked, but you're going to build the relationships. And I always, you know, so I have this whole motto, you know, if you do the right thing for the right reason, it's, it's going to come back to you. So right. you're just, you're just taking care of the patient. It's not, it's not about, you know, how many dollars are on the schedule. Yes, we measure that. Yes, it's important, but it's about, you know, that total relationship with your patient because um, I thought it was funny you mentioned margins. Um, I think they'll mention margins when they're just trying to get really, really technical and they've seen another dentist. Yeah. For the most part, a patient does not come in and say, well, you know what? I really don't like the margins on this crown. There's something else going on. Mm-hmm. Right. How do we, how do we find out how that 
or what that is, well, we, we got to be in constant communication and, and really getting to know our patients. Well, and if, if a patient comes in talking about margins on the crown or the fact that they're, you know, biohorizon <laughs> implant, <laughs> yeah, there, there's something going on there. Either they're, they've got a dentist in the family and you got to watch out or, you know, <laughs> or they've done this before, which, which is very common in our industry. Yes. We have the, the frequent yes. liars. Oh, yes. oh yeah. <laughs> Um, so when you talk about, uh, the follow-up, so it's, it, do you follow up if, even if they had the treatment done, I mean, is there kind of like a, a thank you afterwards or does, does that happen in the recare appointment? For the most part, uh, the dentists that I've been blessed to work with, they're very big on calling their patients for follow-up. And if they mm-hmm. don't call them, then they'll let one of the team know, hey, can you reach out to Mrs. So-and-so or, you know, see how she's doing, if she needs anything, uh, because that's that's important to them that, you know, they the patient knows that they're there. Most of my dentists have also uh, been more than willing to give patients their cell phone numbers after uh, if it's a large, you know, treatment or if something went a little bit out of the ordinary. You know, it's, here's my cell phone number. If you need me tonight, give me a call. Um, so always, I, I think that that's, that's just part of being human. What did, did you do this at your practice too, Angela? Yeah, we did. We actually, um, our doctor called after, um, you know, treatment. Usually it's, you know, the bigger treatments, but even if we did root canals and he made a personal phone call and then um, we sent thank you cards. And, you know, going back to what Lisa was saying about just making it about the patient and understanding um, the patient, it just makes for the longstanding relationship and and what happened was, is that what we would see is happy patients refer happy patients. Mm-hmm. And um, that was our number one referral source is if we knew that we had a satisfied, happy patient, they were our biggest referral source. And that's where we got, an, you know, like we had one patient that worked for FedEx. And at that time, FedEx was with MetLife and our doctor was a provider with MetLife and became our number one referral source for FedEx. And we almost had the whole FedEx hub coming to us um, just because of one patient. That's great. Holy cow. I hope you guys got like bonuses based on that. (laughs) (laughs) Like a referral bonus. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, it is really not. You're right, though. When we when we find a patient we like, we really need to cultivate that. Um, I'm always surprised when I talk to offices and they're like, "Yeah, we hate we have so many of this type of patient that comes from a certain insurance company, and they hate it, but they spend all their time marketing to this group of patients." And I'm like, "If you hate Acme Insurance Company, why are you marketing to their patients? Like, okay. stop that." I think this is so funny because. Um, so obviously, uh, here in Orlando, we are one of the, uh, well, I, I, don't, I say we, um, the company that I was with is one of the largest growing um, practices down here. And one of the dilemmas, and I was always told I had to look past it, but sometimes I didn't do such a good job, was that we had practices going up all the time. And all the marketing's the same. Mm. So these postcards are being sent out and, you know, A, dental practice is opened here, B, dental practice is open not even 10 miles down the road, and they're all getting, all the people that live within a 30-mile radius are getting the same postcard. Mm. So it's, it's very, you know, people are, are jumping because they're taking advantage of that, you know, that dollar amount special. So how do you stop that? And, you know, we had agreed as a practice that, you know, we were going to keep 
you know, hopefully every patient, but at least as many as we could, because we were going to differentiate ourselves by giving them such a great experience by just wowing their socks off, much like Angela, you did with that FedEx uh, person, um, that they didn't feel the need to jump around anywhere else. And if we got something wrong, we admitted it, we apologized, and we moved on. I think that that's sometimes we get in this defensive mode and, you know, want to say, oh, no, that's not what happened. What just... It is so much better, in my opinion, to write off $100 um, if you know that this is a patient that is, you know, of good standing and been with you for a long time. Why, why are you going to uh, lose a patient over money, especially, and oh my gosh, I can't believe I just said that, but I mean, you guys, you ladies know what I'm saying. I do. Um, yeah. We just, we, we get so caught up in the right or wrong or the, the dollar amount. You make so much money off of a patient in their lifetime anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Just wow them with great customer service. Don't, don't worry about all that other little stuff because it's not going to serve you well. And, and it does add up. I mean, all that all that goodwill, not, not the hundred dollars adding up. I mean, I get that, but all that goodwill that you have with the patient adds up. I mean, I'm just thinking back to my days. I remember trying to reconcile accounts for, you know, 30, $40. And sometimes our biggest, you know, patient, our biggest spending patient who we also loved was in the office and I couldn't take five minutes to go and catch up with them because I was so busy working on this amount. Mm -hmm. You know, we lose opportunity to connect with our patients because we're so, you know, in the serving industry, in the, in the restaurant industry, it's called being in the weeds and you just, you just don't think about that. And, and I, it took my doctor one time having to say to me, would you just come and talk to her? Cause she's wondering where you are. And I was like, Oh, you know, this is why we're here. Yeah, <laughs> right. You just, you yeah. just forget about things like that, you know? So, well, that's, that's really interesting that I love that you brought the corporate side of it to, to us. And that, cause that's something that I, I know a lot of my listeners are coming from solo practices. That's who usually takes my classes or solo and small group practices. But Angela, you deal also with, with some of the, the locals and also the, the medium, I guess, group practices. Is there something from your perspective that you're seeing that could help with the smaller practices, you know, any systems or any, just any thoughts on that? Cause I, you, you talk to a lot of offices. Oh, yeah. So, um, and probably selfishly, I'll speak just from some resources that um, Care Credit has available. And, and, and day in and day out, I, I kind of talk about uh, when I'm talking to individual practices, because I think, again, the number one thing that they struggle with is just getting patients to move forward with the yes, because it's usually a financial barrier. Mm-hmm. And when I'm kind of probing as to well, why do you think that is? And it really comes down to just making sure that they have options in their practice. And usually what I hear most often is that, well, we offer, you know, major credit cards and sometimes we'll break it down into two payments or or we offer in our in-house payment plan, but doctors kind of upset because our AR has gotten out of control and he doesn't want to be the bank anymore. And so what I let them know is that, you know, we have a resource called our payment options form, which is completely customizable. And it's probably one of the lifesavers that helped me when I was an office manager, treatment coordinator. And it was a resource that was brought to my attention by my practice development manager at Care Credit. And basically what happened was one day she came into my practice and she's like, you know, what are you doing when you present treatment plans? And I kind of let her know. And I said, you know, I'm tracking treatment and I'm kind of at a 50% case acceptance, which is unacceptable in letting a lot of cases walk out the door. 
And she's like, well, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, I do the same spill, Mrs. Jones, Mr. Jones, you know, here are your options. You can pay half and half. We offer all major credit cards. If you pay up front, you get a 5% cash discount, kind of the same spill. And she's like, well, why don't you use our options form, which is customizable. It allows you to offer all the plans that Care Credit has to offer, or you can pick and choose the ones that you want for your practice, but it gives them and it shows them the amount per treatment plan broken down so that that way you can show them, does this work into your budget? Does $100 fit into your budget? And it'll show them. And so she says, why don't you just try it for a week and see if it works? Just test it. And sure enough, I tried it for about a week and it's a template that I used and it's very um, easy to follow. And my case acceptance went up that week by 15%. And when I continued to use it, my case acceptance continued to go up. And I was at like 75, 80% by the end of the month. Wow. So it was a template that I just continued to use. It was very easy for my team to use if I wasn't there, if I had two treatments going on at the same time. And so that's the one thing that I highly recommend for private practices, smaller group practices, because a lot of times the office manager just doesn't have the resource to train everybody mm-hmm. on how to give a treatment plan or how to go over options, financial options. And like you mentioned earlier, Teresa, just some, sometimes people just don't like to go over the money part of it. They're not comfortable with it. When they get that first no, they're like, okay, Yeah. So um, (laughs) this is a really easy form that shows all of the options. And then you kind of put it onto the patient. You said, which one works for you? If they go with a credit card payment, then they've already told you what they want to pay with. But if they are looking for payment options, it's spelled out right there. And then you can go into, well, here's our finance options. We work with a company called Care Credit. It's really quick, easy. We'll find out in a, a minute and we can move forward today. Now, that is something that they can get from their own um, practice manager yeah. or practice consultant? Yeah, they can, they can actually get it from the um, practice development manager. They can get it from our care credit website. Um, it's done through our payment calculator. So as long as they're in enrolled care credit practice, it's a resource that's available to them. Okay. Because I, I just want to put that out there because I know people are going to be like, wait, I need that form. So I'll, I'll put in a link to it as well so that they can get it. Um, thank, you. thank you, Teresa that, um, and Angela. Thank you for sharing that because that is a great tool. Um, you know, I, I hear a lot of doctors, you know, they're like, well, yeah, but you know, the cost, blah, blah, blah. I think a lot of times when we are talking about this, we need to, as you mentioned, is it a hundred dollars? If, it, if it's fitting it into their budget, then utilize those, um, those low interest programs that give the patient an extended treatment. It doesn't always have to be, because I saw this a lot where people automatically, you know, want to go to that 0% interest, but care right. has so many other options that give a patient a smaller amount and actually allows them to fit it into their budget. So you really have to make sure when you're presenting that treatment plan that you're finding out what works best for your patient and then offer them something based upon that because there really are so many options available through care credit, which is why, why I said it was always my go-to. It, it just made sense. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, and, and when an office is having trouble with treatment plan presentation, one of the first things I ask is tell me what you offer. And usually it's, you know, they, they know that they have a third party financing available. They just haven't received the training on it. Um, so if that's your situation, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I haven't talked to my rep in a long time or, you know, call the number 
call care credit and ask for that and see if you can get somebody out to your office, have them come out to you. Um, if you're working with a coach or a consultant, then make sure you bring that up to him or her so that you can go over that in your next meeting. There's so many resources out there. And um, the one thing that I wanted to share, I should have shared this in the beginning, but one of the, the statistics that Marco, I think it's Wojciech from the ADA's uh, Health Policy Institute, he, he put up a slide at one of the most recent meetings and Angela and I were there and we both kind of just looked at each other, but the amount of diagnostic and preventive services far outweighs how many services we do in comparison to restorative. And it's so lopsided, it made me think, geez, are any treatment plans being accepted? And if you take a look at your office, your office may be killing it, but that doesn't mean every office is killing it. And if your office isn't killing it, that's okay. Tomorrow's a new day. We can start out with that. But Angela, were you shocked by how many, how, how different, the, how big the disparity was between preventive restorative? Yes. And um, it could be the shift in dynamics of just the patient population. And it, I mean, there could be a number of, of statistics that go into that. But yeah, it was definitely, I think, like you said, you and I both looked at each other in amazement. Yeah. And I'm, I'll see if I can find it at the Health Policy Institute and link that because, I mean, it made me think that nobody's <laughs> that nobody's doing any dentistry other than cleanings right. and exams. And, and that's, that's a little bit frightening. So anything, but we're going to wrap this up. Anything else you want to add before uh, we, we say goodbye to this podcast? Um, I just want to, um, I want to number one, thank you, Teresa, for, uh, allowing me to, uh, get back into the game, as we say. And thank you, <laughs> Angela. We didn't get a chance to role play, but maybe we can do that next time. But I, I want to just end this with the, uh, thought that, you know, there's utilize those tools and by all means, you know, continue to role play because that's, what's going to build your team's confidence in doing this treatment planning. It only takes a few minutes and, and you can actually have some fun with it and, and keep building relationships because that's, that's where, that's where you're going to get your long-term patients and you're going to build trust and people are going to start accepting more treatment once they trust you. Yeah, I think we definitely need to do some role-playing um, on the next time that we have you back on, Lisa, because you were just spitting it out with Angela and I. And I had fully expected that we would get to role-play, but we just got such good conversation. So, so that means... Lisa, that I'll have to have you back. And Angela, you're welcome too. Angela's so Thank busy you. though. My goodness, you're so busy. I, I had the pleasure of catching up with her at the most recent insurance extravaganza meeting in Vegas. So that was really good to see you. And, and yeah. what, did you, what did you think of the event? I, I thoroughly enjoyed so much education and knowledge in that room. And uh, I kind of went home with like, wow, this is a great event that more people need to attend because they're not getting that type of knowledge anywhere else. Yeah, I need to work on Christine because Christine Taxon puts on the event and she's she's just tired right now. So yeah. <laughs> I think I think she's going to put it on again, but we got to make sure that she knows, you know, how, how popular it was. So, right. um, and I don't know if you hear the jingling in the background, but my dogs are playing. It's not a podcast unless my dogs make an appearance. So that's just, <laughs> um, so I will link in the show notes, I will link how to get in touch with Angela, how to get in touch with Lisa. Lisa, do you you have a website you want to push out or an email? I'll give my email, no website. Uh, my email is lspradley at gmail.com. Okay. And Angela, how do they get in touch with you? So they can uh, 
email me at amartinez at carecredit.com. Okay, great. And then the Care Credit website has tons of resources for you. So absolutely. uh, Thank you so much, ladies, for being on this podcast. And if any of you have any treatment plan questions, shoot them over to me, Lisa or Angela. If you shoot them to me, I'll make sure they get to the right person. But I hope that this has been helpful for you. Until the next episode, have a great day. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Subscribe to this podcast so you'll get our next candid discussion. Visit Teresa's website, odysseymgmt.com. That's odysseymgmt.com for more information on Teresa's courses, books, and speaking schedule. Subscribe to her newsletter while you're there. Don't say we didn't tell you that.